Chapter 29 of The Turn of the Tide. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Candace Stellick, Dallas, Texas. The Turn of the Tide by Eleanor H. Porter. Chapter 29. Margaret did not sleep well in her lavender-scented sheets that night. Always she heard the roar and the click-clack of the mills, and everywhere she saw the weary little workers with their closely bound skirts and their strained, anxious faces. She came down to breakfast with dark circles under her eyes, and she ate almost nothing to the great, though silent, distress of the family. The Spencers were alone now. There would be no more guests for a week. Then would come a merry half-dozen for the Christmas holidays. New Year's was the signal for a general breaking up. The family seldom stayed at Hillcrest long after that, though the house was not quite closed, being always in readiness for the brothers when either one or both came down for a week's business. It was always more or less of a debatable question, just where the family should go. There was the townhouse in New York, frequently opened for a month or two of gaiety, and there was the allurements of some southern resort, or of a trip abroad, to be considered. Sometimes it was merely a succession of visits that occupied the first few weeks after New Year's, particularly for Mrs. Meredith and Ned, and sometimes it was only a quiet rest under some sunny sky entirely away from society with a capital S. The time was drawing near now for the annual change, and the family were discussing the various possibilities when Margaret came into the breakfast room. They appealed to her at once and asked her opinion and advice, but without avail. There seemed to be not one plan that interested her to the point of possessing either merits or demerits. I am going down to Patty's, she said, a little hurriedly, to Mrs. Meredith, when breakfast was over. I got some names and addresses of the mill children yesterday from Mr. McGinnis, and I shall ask Patty to go with me to see them. I want to talk with the parents. But, my dear, you don't know what you are doing, protested Mrs. Meredith. They are so rough, those people. Miss Albie, our visiting home missionary, told me only last week how dreadful they were. So rude and intemperate and ill-odored. She has been among them, she knows. "'Yes, but don't you see? Those are the very people that need help, then,' returned Margaret wearily. "'They don't know what they are doing to their little children, and I must tell them. I must tell them. "'I shall have Patty with me. Don't worry.' And Mrs. Meredith could only sigh and sigh again, and hurry away upstairs to devise an altogether more delightful plan for the winter months than any that had yet been proposed, a plan so overwhelmingly delightful that Margaret could not help being interested. Of one thing, however, Mrs. Meredith was certain. If there was a place distant enough to silence the roar of the mills in Margaret's ears, that place should be chosen, if it were Egypt itself. Patty Durgan hesitated visibly when Margaret told her what she wanted to do, until Margaret exclaimed in surprise, and with a little reproach in her voice, "'Why, Patty, don't you want to help me?' "'Yes, yes, you don't understand,' protested Patty. "'It ain't that. I want her to do it all. 
if you have money for him, let me give it to him. Margaret was silent. Her eyes were still hurt, still rebellious. I, I don't want you to see him, stammered Patty then. I don't want you to feel so, so bad. Margaret's face cleared. Oh, but I'm feeling bad now, she asserted cheerily. And after I see them, I'll feel better. I want to talk to them, don't you see? They don't realize what they are doing to their children to let them work so, and I am going to tell them. Patty sighed. You don't understand, she began, then stopped, her eyes on the determined young face opposite. All right, I'll go, she finished, but she shivered a little as she spoke. And they did go, not only on that day, but on the next and the next. Margaret almost forgot the mills. So filled was her vision with drunken men, untidy women, wretched babies, and cheerless homes. Sometimes her presence and her questions were resented, and always they were looked upon with distrust. Her money, if she gave that, was welcome, usually, but her remonstrances and her warnings fell upon deaf, if not angry, ears. And then Margaret perceived why Patty had said she did not understand. There was no such thing as making a successful appeal to the parents. She might have spared herself the effort. Sometimes she did not understand the words of the dark-browed men and the slovenly women. There were many nationalities among the operatives, but always she understood their black looks and their almost threatening gestures. Occasionally, to be sure, she found a sick woman or a discouraged man who welcomed her warmly and who listened to her and agreed with what she had to say. But with them there was always the excuse of poverty, though their Sue and Bess and Teddy might not earn but twenty, thirty, forty cents a day, yet that twenty, thirty, and forty cents would buy meat and bread and meant all the difference between a full and an empty stomach, perhaps for every member of the family at times. Margaret did what she could. She spent her time and her money without stint and went from house to house untiringly. She summoned young McGinnis to her aid and arranged for a monster Christmas tree to be placed in the largest hall of the town, and she herself ordered the books, toys, candies, and games for it, besides the candles and tinsel stars, to make it a vision of delight to the weary little eyes of all accustomed to such glory. And yet to Margaret it seemed that nothing that she did counted in the least against the much there was to be done. It was as if a child with a teaspoon and a bowl of sand were set to filling up a big chasm. Her spoonful of sand had not even struck bottom in that pit of horror. End of chapter 29 of The Turn of the Tide Recording by Candace Stellick, Dallas, Texas